Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're talking to Academy Award winner Renee Zellweger about her new show, What If? A delicious morality tale from creator Mike Kelly, in which she plays Anne Montgomery, the amoral, glamorous power player who creates chaos in her wake. Are there still limitations to what you'd be willing to sacrifice? In this case, a night alone with her husband. Would that be an acceptable condition of a firm offer to finance her company? In this conversation, we reflect on some of the most memorable moments of her career, and we also talk about what it was like to become Judy Garland in her next film, Judy, out this fall. It's all here. The life lessons, the Texan drawl, and that contagious laugh. So, first question. What convinced you to be in What If? Um, well, I had just come back from England. We had spent um, quite a bit of time over there and, and in, in preparation uh, to make the Judy film before that. So mm-hmm. it had been, you know, it had been a long sort of extended immersion. And so when I got home, I was kind of ready to go play. And I heard that Mike Kelly wanted to have a chat, and, um, and he seemed like a really nice guy. And uh, so I went, sat on the couch, and this is how I, I tend to make my decisions, you know, mm-hmm. these days. So I like you. <laughs> Let's be friends. And if you're contractually obligated to hang out with me, that would, you know, expedite that process. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to be friends. So, I mean, I kind of thought I would love to do something with this gentleman, no matter, you know. And I liked the script. I thought it was so clever. And I loved how outrageous this woman was. Because you have those moments all day long mm-hmm. where you wish you could say the thing. And you won't say the thing. It's a thought bubble. It's a thought bubble and you let it go. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully in most cases we let it go. Mm-hmm. Oh, but does not let it go. <laughs> and I thought, oh, what fun. Mm-hmm. What fun. And he explained to me what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, he, sort of, he said, I miss those, those movies from the you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. They're mm-hmm. kind of a morality tale. And, uh, you know, those dramas, those heightened reality dramas of the, of the 80s. You know, the younger generations, they don't know about that stuff because they don't make it anymore. Yeah. And there's a reason we were addicted for decades, mm-hmm. you know. So he thought, I want to do a show with a wink to that genre. Um, but I have to throw in a little film noir uh, in the mix because he's a fan and who isn't. Well, it's know? always raining, which I love. Yeah. The lighting is always right. so good. Oh, it's just so ironic. Yeah. It's yeah. so there's so much irony in in the show, and but also I I love what motivates him to write. He loves to um, write socially relevant content. So he's handing you, you know, um, a topical issue to mull over, to ask hard questions of yourself with a big fat cup of sugar. 
And uh, I thought that he did revenge, you know, and he sort of was inspired by the Count of Monte Cristo and inspired to write by the Bernie Madoff scandal and the irreparable damage that came from, you know, mm-hmm. from that debacle. And uh, and in this case, you know, he's exploring the idea of how we compromise ourselves ethically mm-hmm. to well, get one, what we want. One one decision affects the rest of your life, career, everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and can you live with yourself? Where's the line? Mm-hmm. And do you even know until you've made the decision? Mm-hmm. And are we lying to ourselves, trying to justify having made the moral compromise? What does that look like? And it felt very topical to me right now because you kind of look around and you go, huh, huh. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the archery, the fencing. I mean, did you—I know on. you well enough to know that you were fencing and you were learning— <laughs> You know, that was the best part of the day, too, don't you? The best part, we're going to classes. It was fantastic. Yeah. So much fun. I loved it. I didn't know you could get hurt like that. Mm-hmm. That was sore. Are you the next pretty day. good? Are you pretty good fencer now? Do you? Oh, think? I wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't actually go toe to toe with someone who knows what they're doing. But it <laughs> sure was fun going through the motions. You know, boy, a wrist can get tired. I tell you what. Um, and archery, boy, you really do need that little guard on your forearm. Mm-hmm. Things can happen. Tell me about your approach to a character. Is your process the same every time, or does it depend on the character you're playing? Well, there are the logistics of the process, which remain the same. You know, mm-hmm. you have to prepare in the same way. Um, when you're doing, well, when you're playing a, a person who's, you know, real, you know, the the film is based on her life, for example. Mm -hmm. It's quite different, you know, in terms of the level of responsibility that you feel to to be thorough. This is sort of more um, concocted in your imagination. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The process, again, you know, preparing is the same, but for this, you know, the the parameters of what would be considered uh, uh, appropriate uh, were quite broad, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd never done that before. Yeah, and that was quite fun. That was a lot of fun to think. You know what? What if we just did push it a little more? Mm-hmm. What if she really did just say the thing in the way that's so obnoxious you might not believe her in any other, you know, any other, uh, 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 I guess, uh, a show of any other tone. Mm-hmm. But this allowed for a lot of play. And I never gotten to play like that before. And it was really fun because it was exercising muscles that I totally ignore in my real life. Mm-hmm. You know, don't got to walk that line. Don't hurt people's feelings, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And Anne relishes it. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of fun, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about the scale of shooting these kinds of series. It's almost like you're doing back-to-back feature films. Yeah, it's a lot of material. Yeah, we do a lot in a little bit of time, but, uh-huh. you know, I, I've done a lot of films in the indie world, and it's the same. you mm-hmm. got a nickel in a week. Yeah. <laughs> and what can you do? And, you know, it's it's pretty much like making independent film. To, to me, anyhow, you lie. That's how you do it. You lie, and you pretend like you can get four months' worth of material in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And now, to get your movie made, you call it a TV show. <laughs> right. You get to stay with these people for so much longer, right? Because usually a movie you do for three months. I mean, how yeah. long was this? Was it about six months that you spent? It was actually, it was about it was about three. Oh, really? Did yeah, that quick? it was. It was about, yeah, because we were shooting on, you know, doubling up a couple right. of crews and, and getting things done mm-hmm. simultaneously. So it went pretty quickly. 
yeah. poor Mike Kelly, you know, trying right. to turn out these words because we didn't have we didn't have all the words, you know, mm-hmm. the, the episodes weren't complete. He had an idea about where he wanted to go, mm-hmm. and he sort of mapped out how the characters would intersect and, um, you know, where, you know, the, the, the trajectory of each of the characters' stories and all this, but he didn't know how we were actually going to get there. So, yeah, so he was kind of making it up as he went along. It's a great deal of pressure. I cannot imagine. Do you ad-lib at all? Yeah, he left a lot of room for that, which I was grateful for. Because trying to find how it fits, you know, I've never done that before. I kind of have a plan in advance about the choices that I might make that day. And then you're mm-hmm. open to see what happens, obviously, because mm-hmm. you can't have everything set in stone or, or mm-hmm. there's no magic, right? Um, but on the day, you just, you know, tr- still trying to make the words fit. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then he's he was right there to, well, let's move around a little bit. Let's yeah. change that. And, you know, this is... A fun experiment. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, was. I could just watch you walk across the hall again and again and again in a different outfit with those. Yeah, I was good with that too. Runner, the, <laughs> what dress tomorrow? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, no one can wear a dress quite like you. I mean, on that, on our, uh, the Vanity Fair Oscar cart, but I always love, you know, Renee Zellweger knows how to wear a dress. That's nice. The truth. That's a nice thing to say. That's the truth. I have a, um, I have a lot of friends who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that helps too, but yeah, but it's they know good. how to put in a zipper and make sure it works. <laughs> uh, so you were in London, obviously, for a while, mm-hmm. um, becoming Judy, as in Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. And this is this movie because you've been very busy the last two years, I feel like, a year and a half. Well, you too. Um, yeah. Really shy, yeah. 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 Uh, you never shy away from a challenge. And what I love about you and your choices is you just like whether it's like Texas confidence, I don't know, uh, you just go in. I was tricked. <laughs> <laughs> or you're tricked, but you kind of you kind of go in all in and like even if you're gonna fail or you feel like you're gonna fail or there's high percentages that it could fail, you you go in a hundred percent and I love that about you because you just take it on and you push yourself almost to see if you can do it. And then you do it. What's so interesting to me about you being Judy Garland and looking at you, I'd be like, how is she ever going to become Judy Garland? And then within four minutes of the movie, you don't even see Renee anymore. So. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know what to say here. Um, That's a really nice thing to say. Mm -hmm. And and I don't know what the answer to your question is. Um, it really is a nice thing to say. I think um, I don't really um, – I forget that, that that we're embarking on something that will be for public consumption someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like a, a brilliant, creative idea, and I get excited by that. Mm-hmm. And it will be about something that matters to me on some level, and I get excited about that. And then mm-hmm. I become curious, and I want to know more. And then – Oftentimes it just it starts out as just a a conversation, and then it's um, oh well, let's look at that, and then let's talk about what we just you know learned about this. I guess in this case about Judy, and then it's let's just see. Just like for example, just you know, come to England and we'll just go to the studio recording studio, and we'll just you know we'll just play around, we'll just see, let's just see, and then we'll just go see about something else, and then we'll see about something else, and we'll see about something else, and and then I'm in love, 
and I'm just hooked. And, and then it becomes this immersion of discovery and understanding and trying to fill in the blanks because you read the one thing that someone says that's, I don't know, not kind. And then I want to understand where that came from and what else was happening in, the, in that period in her life that they left out that they just failed to mention. Because I find that that happens a great deal in, in someone else's sort of projection or in the telling of, of someone else's story mm-hmm. or in the misrepresentation of what's going on in someone's life. And this particular project is really specific to this, this, this period in her life that was very challenging and uh, also very beautiful. And I don't think a lot of people know much about it, and I didn't. And so I became, um, I just was so taken by what she was able to overcome. And then I became very greedy with learning more. And then I was just so um, fascinated by the circumstances. And I was in awe of what she was able to achieve considering the challenges that she was facing at that time and her health and um, the, the, the personal um, hurt that she must have been carrying at that time. And I, I just, I, suddenly we were on a stage and, and uh, surrounded by extraordinary, extraordinarily gifted musicians and and. And these things just started to come to life. And suddenly, there was this project, and it was alive. And it was this collection of, of, of people who loved her or who were touched by her work or by her humanity in some way or who, who related to her in some way, who were showing up every day to do their best for her. It was so sweet. Mm-hmm. Chris, it was like a love letter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can do this. We can do it. Or, you know, do it for the team. And everyone was, do it for We could do it for her. We could do it. It was so sweet. Um, I've never been part of something that was so special in that way. Now you're realizing that everyone's going to hear you sing. <laughs> oh, <wait>. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> over the rainbow, you're oh, like, oh, wait, because the wait. trailer dropped. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Just like everybody now gets to see you as, you know, Anne Montgomery walking across delivering, you know, just zingers. It, yeah. it is for public consumption. Yeah, and that's when I go away. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I get in the truck and I drive to Texas yeah. with the dogs. <laughs> and I'm gone for go, going away for a little while. All right, let's go down memory lane a bit. Do you remember the line, you had me at hello? One of the most famous lines, I think, in uh, the 20th century in film. You played Dorothy Boyd. The movie was Jerry Maguire. And you starred alongside a uh, actor, I think his name was Tom Cruise. What did you learn from being with him on set? Like, did he teach you things that you took, that you've since taken with you yes. along the way? Yes, and didn't even realize, um, didn't realize, uh, such a special person and just so special, Not the experience, you know. Um, I think I learned by example more than anything, uh, just watching his um, rapport with everyone. Um there was no hierarchy of sort of importance that mm-hmm. he acknowledged. He was kind to everybody, and there was no conditional kindness. It wasn't, I'm nice to you because this is good for me. Everybody got the handshake and the smile and his genuine interest. He was there first, went home last. He never complained. He was always really enthusiastic about everything that everybody suggested and wanted to do, wanted to try. Mm-hmm. There was no... 
losing his temper, berating anyone, yelling. There was none of that. He had no ego. He was just so uh, generous and enthusiastic about what we were doing and excited to collaborate with everybody to make it happen and just to watch it go, you know? It was this really beautiful, um, just generous spirit, just so generous, genuinely kind. And, uh, and yeah, that clearly made an impression because I recognized um, what that meant um, later down the line, having different experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I've, uh, you know, I thought, oh, that, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's how you do it right there. He's not just lucky because he's a handsome man. He's, mm-hmm. he's a hardworking, very committed and, and generous person. Mm-hmm. And I think that he deserves all the goodwill in the world because he is, uh, he is um, you know, very generous in his support of, of, of everyone, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. It's kind of amazing to do what was such a significant part with him at that time because it's true. You hear these things about him, and he still has the same level of enthusiasm for what he does now. Mm-hmm. You really have to maintain that, I'm that not, curiosity. <laughs> I'm not going out on the wing. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not doing your own stunts. Uh, well, no. you're doing your own singing. Uh, I don't know about that. You haven't been asked to go out on the wing yet. If you're asked to go out on the wing, I have a feeling that you might figure out a way to, right? I might get tricked out onto a wing. Right. You might get tricked out, and you're like, well, I love it. I don't know. Before I knew it, I'm out on the wing. And I'm doing it. All right, Bridget Jones. Okay, so the character that you are probably most identified with, certainly with the generation, you know, when I, so many people, you say Renee, and they're like, oh my God, my Bridget Jones, it's my favorite movie. Oh my God, I loved her. Oh my God. Da, da, da. And I remember all the grief you got for, for when you were cast, and it was like, it should be a British person, and everyone kind of freaked out about, you know, why an American actress for a British film and whatever. And then once the movie kind of came out, no one even thought about it. It actually swung in the opposite direction. How could anybody else have played this role? Uh, but for you, how it, how important has Bridget Jones been for you as an actress and just in your own life, playing her and being her? And I love her. I love how, you know, just how authentic she is and how she tries and doesn't always get it right, mm-hmm. but it's okay. And uh, I know there's a, there's a lesson in there, not to punish ourselves when we don't quite get things right. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's gonna be it's all right. You know, and mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm working on that one, <laughs> Bridget. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm I I think that um, I think that of everything that I've done, that probably. I had the m- most uh, um, noticeable effect on how my life became different. Um, mm-hmm. Because after Jerry Maguire, I kind of ran away. I didn't do press for Jerry Maguire. I didn't go, um, you know, do the chat shows yeah. and all that stuff. I got busy right away and did a, um, an independent film in New York. I did Price of Rupees when mm-hmm. that film was coming out. So I just kind of kept was able to keep my life quiet for just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't really aware of how it might have changed um, from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Bridget, I was. I was very aware. Uh, and I don't know. I think I was prepared for it. 
I think I was. I wasn't prepared for um, for certain things um, that I, I don't even know how to describe what they are. But for example, if there are things in in my past that I I that were very painful that I suffered with other people for it to be drug out um, for public consumption as, you know, uh, and sensationalized and mm-hmm. things. I, I, I was not prepared for that to happen. I felt like I'm fair game. But those things that other people who don't have anything to do with Hollywood or making movies or something would somehow, um, you know, have uh, that this would have an adverse effect on their lives in some mm-hmm. way. I was not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um and I, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. And I, I had to, I, had, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty tough kid, you know. I grew up. I had big brother taught me some good life lessons. Thanks, Drew. And I had my my knocks, you know. I learned my lessons coming up, and you know, on my own, figuring it out through college and things mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, I wasn't naive. Um, but there are certain things that you're not born with the faculties to know how to navigate mm-hmm. until they hit you and you go, wow, what do I, what do, I do with this? So, uh, you know, after Bridget, there were quite a few new experiences that I had to sort of, uh, yeah, I had to change a few things mm-hmm. about myself, about how I trust people, I guess, right away mm-hmm. until they show you that you shouldn't trust them. Well, mm-hmm. now you have to kind of... N- not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You sort of have to be a little more reserved in uh, being so generous with your trust and things like that. Mm-hmm. You learn how not to be completely honest about all of your personal information mm-hmm. because, um, first of all, you can't trust what's going to become of it. And secondly, I, you know, I learned it doesn't feel really good. It doesn't feel great to give yourself away for free and... Uh, not everybody, um, it's not natural for people that you don't know to know you better than some of your close friends. Mm-hmm. So I chose really early on to be a little, just, I guess, a little bit more cryptic with the things that I value mm-hmm. about my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you still a news junkie? Oh, you know it. Yeah. You know it. Again, it's like, yeah, no, see, it got really boring now. Well, what's keeping you? Person, <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> I'm fascinated. Welcome to Christmas Smith's one-episode podcast yes. series. <laughs> <laughs> um, what keeps you up at night, then? What are you still afraid of? What is keeping you? What, what like, when you're not thinking about a role, a character, the set the next day, whatever it is. What What's the other half of your brain worrying about? Mm, that's interesting. Uh, I don't really know. I don't think I'm so worried. Uh, I make a lot of plans in my head when I ought to be sleeping. I do that. I get creative at about 2 o'clock in the morning, and that's real helpful to good rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> real helpful. Um, you know, the illness thing freaks me out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I do, you know. I support um, the ALS Association. Mm-hmm. We have our walk every year. Yep. Next year it's going to be in November, so you guys got to come out. Yeah, um, it's important. You know, it affects the work that they do for ALS, the research that they do. It will also benefit uh, patients with um, Alzheimer's, with mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, related muscular degenerative diseases like Parkinson, mm-hmm. MS. You know. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, it's not just the one in 400 people. Can you believe that? One yeah. in 400 people will be touched by this mm-hmm. disease. It's a staggering illness, but it is it is something that I think hitting uh, the the mid-century mark really is, you know, there's a switch that goes, oh, wait, you can't be afraid anymore. What, no. Anything that no. you're afraid of. Like I was thinking about, like, what would you go back and tell that girl from Katy, Texas, you know, driving with her car mm. and, you know, into Hollywood, mm. you know, knowing everything you know now. And mm. I mean, fortunately for you, too, you had broke at a certain time. You didn't really suffer terribly at, uh, in the Me Too situation of all the stuff that was so prevalent at that time. I mean, I'm sure you had your other, um, you know, episodes of uh, misogyny, as I like to call it, generally speaking, a way, a way this business was run. But like, what would you tell that person, you know? Hmm. I think of those days. And I remember that I, I was having so much fun and I felt a sense of responsibility because I was so grateful for the opportunities that I was being given. Um, and as the gratitude grew, so did the sense of responsibility. And I would just remind her not to stop having fun and that the consequences um, uh, are only great if you exclude yourself from the equation um, in terms of the variables that you consider when you are choosing what to do with your day and choosing well, how to spend your time in general and what your life looks like, the bigger picture of your life. You know, because for a long time there, I didn't include myself because I felt this sense of, I don't know, responsibility to not let people down and so when they asked I said yes and I showed up and I did the thing and then suddenly I'll miss the barbecue and I'll miss the birthday and I'll miss the and they understand but yet at the end of it you've missed the things that should be the most important in your life Mm -hmm. you know Uh, and it took me a minute but I figured it out Mm -hmm. all right so tell me what you love about Texas how can you identify someone from Texas well, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from the orange paraphernalia and, you know. <laughs> well, um, well, we're, we're big in our gestures. We're big, you know. I don't know. It's a warm subculture, people. You know, we embrace folks and big hellos and big hugs and big laughs and we want to feed people and we want you to come in and stay a while and, you know, and we spread out because we want everybody to, you know. It's a beautiful culture. I, I've, as soon as I cross the line on I-10, I know I'm home. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could talk food and music for days, you know. There's that. But there's just something about I know, that you and music warmth. and the guys that play music oh, forever. <laughs> You've always had... <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. love the guys that can play music. That's it. That's interesting. Is that a Texas thing? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or do they like me, Christmas man? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feels like home. I've always yeah. been around it. You know, mm-hmm. go to school in, in Austin at mm-hmm. UT and my roommates. Um, Kyle was just here, in fact. Mm-hmm. My college roommate and his brother was my boyfriend in college and all their friends. We all shared a house in Richard Linklater's slacker Austin of the 90s. Uh Uh-huh. It's crazy. 
Um, he was just here. He's in a new band called Night Glitter, and they're fantastic. They just got signed, and they stayed with me this week. But, um, yeah, you know, it's always been part of, it's such a big part of the culture in Austin. You know, and there's this sort of extended family of people from way back then that extends mm -hmm. back to the 60s, you know, mm -hmm. from father to son and so on. Mm -hmm. And everybody's connected. Mm -hmm. So that's my community. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel at home around it, you know. So what was the what was your pinnacle moment for you in as a kid or in college maybe that gave you the confidence to think that you could act? Was was there a movie that stuck with you, or was it a play that you saw, or what was it that kind of triggered this whole career and these Oscar nominations and, you know, singing in the shower to becoming Roxy Hart to doing, you know, <laughs> to run it, to doing a 10-part, you know, series as Anne Montgomery, you That's know, this diabolical, delicious woman. I mean, what 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 was that match for you. This is my failed career in journalism. <laughs> That's not really good. This is my failure to become a journalist. I went to write. I went to UT to write. And I just never submitted to the Daily Texan. And I always had a really good excuse. Why not? I always had a really, really good reason why I couldn't do it. I got the exam or I got the thing or I have to travel or go home to Texas to Katie rather see my family, whatever it was. I just never submitted. And then I just took a long, hard look in the mirror and thought, what is the deal? Are you just not doing this because you're frightened? You're afraid to fail at this thing that matters so much to mm -hmm. you? Is that why you're not doing it? Mm -hmm. And then I did this thesis film. And it was a, a young lady uh, director, directing a uh, student at the, at the school. Um, and it was a Eudora Welty short story that we were doing. I can't remember the title. Was it something stars, something the stars? Or was it Flannery O'Connor? It was terrible. I can't remember. Um, but boy, uh, you know, in the, you know, you're the gaffer catering and the actor, you know, mm -hmm. there's five of you on the crew and you somehow make this film. It's still my favorite way to work. Just mm -hmm. by the seat of your pants, try and figure it mm -hmm. out. I loved it. I loved the collaboration. I loved that we were doing this impossibly ridiculous thing, but we were somehow sneaking around and making it work. Mm -hmm. I loved everyone's commitment to wanting to do it and that everyone wanted to do it for the same reason. Mm -hmm. And in this moment um, where she was asking me to, to do this scene, this young woman who lived in a boarding house, and she was troubled. And I don't know why telling her story felt so important to me, but... I recognized that, um, oh, this is a, a different kind of canvas. This is, I feel like we just, we just built something and we made something tangible out of um, a feeling of, of, of a conversation that we had of imagining circumstances and living through that character for some reason very oddly mattered to me. And, uh, and so going on to tell stories in that way instead of on the page, um, it, the opportunities just kept showing up. And so they were no longer distractions that I was looking for, but it, I was on a path 
going to the next one. And it was curiosity that was pulling me along. I never tired of the next story and of the next character and of the next little bit of understanding or the things that I would um, have to explore in order to understand her. I never tired of that. And here we are. And here we are. And here we are. I mean, and you just, you come back and you're just going to keep coming back. I love it. You just keep coming back to do the next thing and the next character. Keep going and, away. And then, <laughs> but I think you're going to write something at some point. Come on. Yeah, sure. Maybe so. It's that thing that ha- you have to need to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And I feel like that's, I don't, maybe I just haven't been still enough or I haven't been bored enough or I'm, I'm being fulfilled by these other mm-hmm. creative opportunities mm-hmm. that are coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as a writer, that it's something that you kind of need to want to explore. You need to express it. Question, what are you excited about for the next decade? What are you looking forward to? Oh, boy, that's good. Little more Anne Montgomery in my life, and I mean that metaphorically, because I don't know what Mike Kelly has planned, but I mean that metaphorically. Mm-hmm. I mean not to the diabolical extremes, obviously, but um, no, it's just I feel like I don't know about you at this stage in life, but I feel like a kid, and I feel like oh, okay, we got through the hard part where you second-guess yourself and you sort of compromise yourself in certain ways because you feel an obligation to other things or out of, I don't know, just the not knowing. Mm -hmm. And I just, every day, you know, I just get in the car and I crank up Tom Petty and (laughs) and it it just feels like every day feels like a little bit of a celebration. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, the adventure is beginning. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's cliche to other women who have reached this milestone, but I really do. I feel like I'm freed up of all the garbage and confusion and the questioning and the self-doubt or, or, or whatever it might be that, that binds you to not leaping in your 40s. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. Well, it's like you get rid of the imposter syndrome, which I didn't know was a thing. And someone explained it to me. I was like, oh, that's what that is. Right. <laughs> right. And then you realize, oh, we're all just pretending and that's what it is. That's yeah. what doing is. That's what being a professional at something is, is that you've just pretended long enough <laughs> to not get caught and kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I know this is going to make you a little uncomfortable, but you've gotten nominated for a lot of awards, and you won the big one for Best Supporting Actress for your role as Ruby in Cold Mountain. Does that mean a lot as an actor? Um, yes, because it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's history in a way, so that's... That's cool. And um, it's an, it's, um, it's kind of, a, it's, a, it's, it's hard to, to, to uh, articulate because the real value is in that I got to, I get to do it. And it sounds cliche, but those experiences are so rich 
the kamikaze nature of all that you grab up in that short period of time in terms of education, um, growing as a human being, because of what you're asked to do, what you're learning, um, I don't know, mustering courage sometimes, patience, um, a new skill, it always comes with understanding. And usually you walk away having relationships that have enriched your life um, immeasurably and friendships that you'll keep forever. If nothing else, you're probably better off for having done it. And then there's the creative experience. I mean, it's spoiled rotten, you know? And it always is funny to be um, applauded or lauded for having done something that is already such a blessing and that you're lucky to do and that you love. Mm -hmm. It's that's my bliss, you know? Congratulations on being the luckiest person in yeah. the history of the world. It feels kind of redundant in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I guess in terms of the, um, the history part of it, it's really cool. And the, um, I guess what it really means is that you've done something that matters to folks. And that's pretty cool. Thanks so much for joining me. What If is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Present Company is produced by Netflix and Gimlet Creative. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company. Thank you.